So today we're looking at the use of Isaiah in the New Testament. Now, the problem is that there's no way that you can cover that in 35 minutes. Isaiah is, uh, has got to be one of the most significant books in terms of understanding the New Testament that there is. And as we've been going through Isaiah, uh, I, I hope that, that that's been clear to you. But everything that Isaiah says is not necessarily easy to stand, understand. So I thought that what I do this morning is pick out one usage of Isaiah in the New Testament that's particularly hard to understand. And from that, we can see how all the passages uh, that, that reference Isaiah in one form or another uh, can, be, can be understood. So my reaction to this passage is, what's wrong here? This teaching makes no sense. And that's the, the title of what we'll be talking about. So what's the problem? In Mark 4, verses 10 through 12, Jesus says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to, the, he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, But for those outside, everything is in parables so that, and this is where the quote starts, they may indeed perceive, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. That's pretty easy to understand, right? This passage on the surface seems to say that he does not want to forgive. Now, if we know anything about Jesus, he he does want to forgive. So why in the world would he quote a passage that seems to say the opposite? And on top of that, don't the parables that Jesus told make things clear? How about the wheat and the tares? How about the shepherd and the sheep? You remember all those things, right? They really help to understand. Why? Why is he saying that they make things less clear. Is he saying that his parables lead to understanding to those with the secret, but to misperception and misunderstanding for those who do not have the secret? It would seem so, wouldn't it? That seems what he's saying. You have been, you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So then, what is the secret? How are we to find it? Well, sit back in your seats for a little bit. We are going to get to the secret. But first, I want to explore why we have a hard time with passages like this. What is the solution? And that's the next point in your outline. What is the solution to passages like this? How are you to approach them? Since Mark must have wanted us to understand, there is something that we are missing that his audience would have known. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone you know well, and they say something that makes no sense at all? And you say, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. 
And they say, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you about this. And then you're like, okay, that would have helped. Happens all the time, doesn't it? So finding what we are missing is the solution. Let me give you an example. One of the most famous speeches in American history begins with this sentence. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now, you've got no clue what I'm talking about, right? You immediately know what I'm talking about, right? Because this is the Gettysburg Address by Abraham Lincoln, given in 1863, perhaps the most famous speech in all of American history. It's also probably one of the best and one of the shortest. So Lincoln, in starting out his Gettysburg Address with this... um, uh, with this idea of four score and seven years ago, our, for, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. What he's referring to is the Declaration of Independence, which contains those thoughts, those phrases, and was dated on July the 4th, 1776, 87 years before. Now, you may not have made all those connections just with the reading of that that first sentence, but it's all there. So how did you know that? Could you have gotten that from that first sentence alone if you didn't have any context? No, you, you, you couldn't have. But knowing the other facts not revealed in this passage is what we call context. You had learned this context somewhere else, typically in school, but um, it's it's in enough different places that um, that you would have found it out somewhere. This example shows how context deepens our understanding. So, what would Mark's audience have known two thousand years ago that we don't know today? If we can't follow what is an author is saying. We should ask, what are we missing? Even if he's wrong, we should be able to follow his reasoning. But in this case, Mark leaves us a trail of breadcrumbs to follow. Do you see how I did that? The trail of breadcrumbs to follow. Do you know where that comes from? Context, right? Okay, for those of you who don't know, Hansel and Gretel by the Brothers Grimm. Now you know, right? The solution to many hard passages is finding the context. Okay, so Mark here gives us a big clue about what context he's referring to. Did you notice that when I read Mark 4, uh, 10 through 12? He quotes Isaiah. You think that was just random? Probably not. So perhaps we should look there. And I'll read Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy. 
and blind their eyes, lest they see with their ears and hear with their see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. <clears throat> so that's that's the thing that uh, that Isaiah. That's the, the the complete quote in Isaiah. And so it seems that uh, when it's quoted in Mark, that it's the same thing. It's just more words. <clears throat> so that at least gives us a clue as to where we should look. But it doesn't give us the whole answer yet. It's not enough context. So where else can we go? Does Mark quote Isaiah in other places? How about in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, where Mark writes, In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Ah, that gives you an idea where he got this. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So <clears throat> one of the things you need to understand is that um, back in the times when the Old Testament was written, they didn't have quote marks. In fact, they didn't have any punctuation marks. In fact, they didn't even leave spaces between the words. And people could still read it. In fact, there are long languages, one of which was extensively used in the Bible, that leaves out all the vowels. And you can still read it. It sounds strange, but once you get used to it, People do it all the time. <clears throat> what that means is that when things are being quoted, the author may not be giving exactly the same words. As a minimum, he's translating, right? Old Testament Isaiah written in Hebrew, New Testament in Greek. So as a minimum, it's a translation. And they uh, they had different standards than we have today. There, there were no plagiarism laws. Um, they didn't have to attribute. Um, people were supposed to know where it came from. Um, so in this quote here in Mark chapter 1, the first section there, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will repair your way. That's actually from Malachi. And if you were an Old Testament scholar, you would have realized that Malachi was actually quoting from Deuteronomy and that when Isaiah wrote his chunk, he was taken off on both of those. So it makes sense that Mark would put them here together. But Isaiah 40, verse 3, is the particular quote from Isaiah. And it says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. You know, when we read that, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Do you understand what Mark is saying about Jesus with that? He's saying that Jesus is God. He sees Jesus as the Lord, as God, heralded by John the Baptist. So he's saying Jesus is not just another prophet like Isaiah. He is the king himself. In fact, if you go back and you read it in Isaiah 
as and as we've been doing all along here in Isaiah, we have been referring to what uh, a transliteration of what is translated as the Lord, and that is the word Yahweh, which is God's personal name, and refers to Him alone. It's not just one Lord. It's not just Lord of Lords. It's the Lord Yahweh, Him. So one of the things Mark is saying here about Jesus in this passage is that he is Yahweh. So what else do we see? Mark, uh, Mark 1 verse 10. It says, and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And this is, uh, this is from, this is not exactly a quote. This is more a reenactment. In Isaiah 64 verse 1, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down so that the mountains might quake at your presence. Okay. So when Jesus is out there coming out of the water after being baptized by John the Baptist, he saw the heavens being, do you get the word there, torn open? I mean, we all understand what the heavens opened with a deluge, right? A big rain thing. But what does it mean that the heavens were ripped open? Okay, if somebody comes up to you and they, and, uh, and they help you open your coat, that's no big deal, right? Somebody tears your coat open, you're, you're, you're not happy. This is a big deal. <clears throat> And who do we see in Isaiah? Who do we see rending the heavens and coming down? Well, you need to read a little bit more. But again, this is Yahweh. This is the Lord coming down. So we have Jesus coming out of the water, who's identified as Yahweh. We have this dove descending, who is also identified as Yahweh. That's kind of wild, isn't it? Isaiah predicts that Yahweh will rend the heavens and come down. And that's what actually happened in Mark 1, verse 10. I wonder where we get that idea of the incarnation. And then in Mark 1, verse 11, the next verse in Mark chapter 1. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. So we get Yahweh speaking from heaven, right? And Isaiah 42 verse 1 says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. Wow. Put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. This shows that Jesus is both God's son and the suffering servant. So each of these references to Isaiah in Mark 1. So in each of these references, Mark refers to a short passage. But in looking at that passage, we realize it's part of a longer train of thought. And this is characteristic of how they handled referring to passages in the New Testament. That's because, and maybe you didn't know this, 
But like all the chapter numbers and verse numbers that we have in the Bible, they're really convenient, right? So if I say 316, what does that mean? It's a particular verse, right? John 316. You all know that verse, right? Okay, they didn't have the three and the 16. So how would you identify if you wanted to talk about John 316? Would you say somewhere in John it says? Okay, it might take a while for them to get caught up with you. What they did was quote a distinctive chunk of the passage, quite often the first verse of the passage, but many times a chunk in the middle that was even more distinctive or more uh, vivid. <clears throat> so we, so one of the things we need to do when we look at this passage is, is we don't ha- is we need to to. Re- Realize it's part of a longer train of thought. We should look and see what's applicable and what we can learn. And I'd love to do that today, but we just don't have time. So that's homework. You all are used to that, right? Happily, happily, we do have time to go back to Mark 4 and and Isaiah 6 and see what else. Mark may have been referring to. So in Mark, in Mark four, verses eight through 10, he says, and I heard. Excuse me, this is Isaiah six, verse eight through 10. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make this heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And we could have gone all the way back to the beginning of Isaiah 6. That's the great scene where where Isaiah appears before the Lord and his his lips are cleansed and he is uh, sent out. <clears throat> and Jesus clearly is applying this to himself. And Isaiah says, I hear the Lord, the voice of the Lord saying, whom will I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. And what he's saying in this passage is that we need to keep learning and never assume that we have it made. That was the problem with the people of Israel. They thought they were the good guys and God had to take care of them, right? That's not the way God is thinking about it. And what we need to do is realize that we have the tendency, the same tendency that Isaiah talked about, that Jesus talked about in in Mark, that as we continue to hear things, our ears get heavy and our eyes get blind and we stop paying attention. Is that easy for you to do? To stop paying attention, that's really easy for me to do. So keep learning, never assume you have it made. As Paul says in Philippians 3, 
It's actually verse 14. Uh, Press on toward the goal. Oh, 13, huh? Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Yeah, it's actually should be 14. Oh, well. If, if you do stop learning and growing, you have God's promise that your ears will become heavy and your eyes blind. Have you ever noticed those times when you get distracted, your schedule gets real busy and you don't spend much time in the scriptures and maybe you skip going to church and, and you just, have you ever noticed what happens to your thinking and your approach to things and how quickly you get distracted? If you stop learning and growing, you have God's promise that your ears will become heavy and your eyes blind. Continuing to see and hear without repentance leads to blindness. Choose to see, choose to hear, choose to turn and repent as an ongoing lifestyle and you will be blessed. And then in Isaiah, starting again in verse 11, then I said, how long, O Lord? And he says, until the city lies waste without inhabitant and the houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes the people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains. When it is felled, felled, the holy seed is in its stump. What we need to understand is that life's suffering and sorrows are not purposeless. Of course, as we look back in the Garden of Eden, we understand that it's our rebellion that makes us guilty of things that Uh, that mean we should suffer, that we should have sorrow. But God actually has a gracious purpose in sorrow and suffering. These things create opportunities for for the gospel. Something bad happens in your life. And what's the very first thing that comes out of your mouth? Why, Lord, why? That's exactly right. We are immediately taken to God to try to figure out why in the world this thing happened because we don't ever want it to happen again. So, when life's suffering and sorrows arise, minister hope and help to everyone because that is what is going to help them come to know Christ. Many will reject the Lord, but some will turn and be healed. Our job is to be faithful in going and saying until the end. It's living a life of joy and hope and spreading that around to everywhere. Hope in God's promises. So how does this apply to me? Naturally, I'm older and wiser and got all this figured out, right? We wish. Sometimes I think I've I've gotten older and duller. 
So personally for me, I really enjoy puzzles and this whole thing of figuring out how Isaiah works in the New Testament. It's this wonderful puzzle. And fitting all those people's pieces together is just, uh, it's a lot better than a crossword. <clears throat> but the thing that really, that really, um, that I really want is not just to figure out a puzzle, but to understand from the inside what's going on with God and to see my life transformed by embracing God's truth. To really understand how things work on the inside and to, and how God is working all this out. <clears throat> and what's happened is that he's made us so that if we pay attention, we will continue to grow and learn more and more and be ever more transformed into his image. But if we don't pay attention, we become ever and ever hardened. Some of you, I've mentioned in, in this church that um, that I was diagnosed with diabetes a while back. And uh, that was not a happy day. Um, but I thought, all right, we got to understand this thing, right? We got to figure it out. We got to we got to do what needs to be done. And uh, the doctor found some medication. I don't know what you I hate pills. I do. I just. Except if it's aspirin and I have a headache. <laughs> but I don't like to be on medicine. And so I wanted to figure this out. So we went and got some books on diets that help fix diabetes. And so we tried that really hard. And the main thing that happened is they wanted me to eat beans and greens. Now, the problem with beans and greens is, I don't know, that diet may eventually work in terms of getting rid of the diabetes. But what it did for me more than anything else is make me sad. <laughs> it really did. I just, I couldn't figure out why I was getting so sad. And then all of a sudden I looked at my plate and I thought, oh my goodness, this stuff just makes me sad. Oh. And so, uh, and so we started looking further. Okay, so how, what's, what's going on here? What is wrong with this beans and greens thing? And I read, I got some, uh, some of the latest research and read a bunch of doctors. <clears throat> and what I found is that it's not whether or not you're a vegetarian. It's whether or not you eat carbs, carbohydrates. One of the things they, they said, and I had no idea this was true, there is no dietary requirement for carbohydrates at all. So, cut them out. So, that's called the keto diet, which is, which is what I've been doing. And that took a while, and got on the old uh, keto diet, and the last time I was back to see the doctor, he said, you don't have diabetes anymore, do you want to come off the meds? I said, you're singing my tune. <clears throat> now, I wish that was the end of the story. In other words, I found out the inner truth there and had this tremendous uh, um, 
result. <clears throat> but for me, the experience on being with di- diabetes and on a keto diet is, is actually a spiritual issue. It's what, what do I turn to for pleasure and what will I rejoice in? Now, here's a sad thing. The keto diet is a whole lot better than beans and greens. That's really true. But it doesn't hold a candle to Halloween candy and ice cream. (laughs) And so we just had Halloween, right? And that has not been helpful. It's it's mainly sugar, which, of course, is is a huge problem. Diabetes actually, well, it means having sugar in your urine. That's what it means. It's, and um, it's amazing. If you don't put any car- carbs in, your body turns carbs into sugar. Um, you won't have any diabetes anymore. <clears throat> but what I saw is that in, in realizing that I actually like Halloween candy and ice cream a lot. What I saw inside of me was a turning to those things for pleasure. In other words, what God commands me to do is to rejoice in him, not in the things I eat. And this is the deeper lesson of all of this in terms of uh, of Isaiah chapter 6. And listening and and not being um, and not being distracted and into other things is it I have to look at what I rejoice in, what I get excited about, what what makes me feel better, and actually. If I, if I focus on rejoicing in the Lord, I find it's, that, uh, that I don't need to turn to those other things. And it's not like this big temptation, you know, like the snake in the garden, you know, you'll be like God and all that sort of stuff. It's just this little quiet thing inside of me that gets to going. And I need to pay attention to that and focus on rejoicing in the Lord. Trusting in his promises. And Isaiah mentions that at the end of this passage here. When he says that like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled, the holy seed is in its stump. <clears throat> so so even when God has has devastated his, his land, yet there is this, the holy seed. Now, when we first started, how do we apply this? When we first started, Jesus said that there was a secret. And those who understood the secret wouldn't have to learn from parables. They wouldn't have to grow hardened. And so what is the secret that he talks about? Did you catch that as we read through Mark chapter 6? The first dozen times, excuse me, Mark chapter 4. The first dozen times I ran through Mark chapter 4, I missed it completely. But he tells here, 
To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. For, for those outside, everything is in parables. Okay, the secret is being in the kingdom of God. It's admitting that we are not qualified in ourselves for admission. It's turning to Jesus, the king, the suffering servant, giving him all that we are and have, and asking him to cover us with his blood. On your outline, it's down in the application section. Admit that we have failed God's test. <clears throat> it's hard for me to admit that I failed. Uh, any of you like me? Any of you find it hard to admit that you failed? Um, yeah, I think, I think I'd rather walk over hot burning coals than to admit that I failed. And yet the scriptures are very clear that we have. The scriptures are also clear about something else. In, in school, you, re, you learned that there's always a do-over, right? There's always extra credit that you can make it up. You can always take the class again. There's always a do-over. There's no do-overs with God. We have failed, and there is no do-over. He doesn't grade on the curve. Now, I remember when I was in school, and one of the things that I counted on, that I uh, that, that I relied upon, was that I, everything was on a curve. And all I had to do was stay ahead of the bulk of the class, and I could get a really good A, right? It's like, what do you, what, if you and somebody else are being chased by a bear, how can you possibly outrun a bear? You can't. All you got to do is outrun the other guy. <laughs> so that was my, uh, that was my theory of getting good grades is outrunning the other guy. Sadly, God does not grade on a curve. His, he, he says, be holy as I am holy. Or as uh, Matthew says it, be, it has Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount saying, be perfect as I am perfect. Now, I don't know too many of you that are perfect except when your mother looks at you. There's no grading on the curve. But there is a Savior King who loves us. And that makes all the difference. So God provided the solution in Jesus, the Messiah. So we have to accept God's solution in Jesus, the Messiah. And hey, he has already paid. You might as well take him up on his offer. Why in the world would you not take him up on his offer? Unless you think that somehow you don't need it. And all I got to say, friend, is wake up. Your ears are heavy and your eyes are blind. And it's time to smell the coffee. Or in this case, the fire and brimstone. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Fathers, we come before you. We thank you that you have taught us. And that you have awakened us, that you've given us the secret of your kingdom, 
and that's trusting in your son, relying on your promises. Thank you for making your word so plain. Thank you, Father, uh, for sending Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen.